Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we're going to begin uh, with those two verses, and it's going to be important to spend a little bit of time there to review, or actually on verses 4 and 5 in our study of the letter, but what we're going to talk about today, what I want to speak to you about today, really it's necessary to really understand that what is said is flowing out of what has just been said in a profound way. And so I'm going to spend some time here this morning as we begin reviewing these first couple of verses and just to look at the whole letter in general. Paul begins in Romans 12. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So let me just unpack that for a minute. And we're going to, first of all, I'm going to do it in reverse order. I'm going to start at the end of those two verses, and I'm going to work back up to the main truth in verse 1. What he's talking about at the end of verse 2, what Paul is writing about, this goal that we would be able to, as followers of Christ, to be able to discern what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He wants us to be able to do that. You see that there in verse 2? He wants to be able to discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And how is that goal realized? How can we discern what the will of God is? Well, it's realized by having our lives transformed. You see that right before that in verse 2? Be transformed Something about transformation that enables us to discern what the will of God is. And then, how is it that we are transformed by the renewal of our mind, verse 2? So, the renewal of our mind is a transforming process in us so that we can discern the will of God. And the degree to which we live out the will of God in our lives is the degree to which, verse 1, our lives are a living act of spiritual worship. End of verse 1. You see, the real, overall, general purpose, goal of our lives is that as followers of Jesus Christ, we'd be living for the glory of God, living lives of worship to God. Verse 1. But there's a problem when we get saved. We still got this 
mortal body and we struggle with things in life and we're battling to try to figure out and to live in the truth so that we can live out daily acts of worship. And so the way again, now going from beginning to end through that process, the way that it works for us to live out lives of worship is that what has to happen is that our minds need to be renewed. And when our minds are renewed, our lives are transformed. Why? Because thinking affects living. Right thinking enables right living. And when we are thinking right, we can discern what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God so that we can do it. And when we do the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God, what is that to the Lord? It is a life of worship, verse 1. You see how that just works in perfect concert there, the flow there of Romans 12, 1 and 2 set down this really great propositional set of truths, this process by which we can live daily lives of worship, which is why we are here. Whether you know that or not, that's why God created you and for His glory. So here's a, there's a key question then. How do we get our minds renewed? Because the renewal of the mind leads to the transformation of life and the discerning of the will of God so that we can obey it and live lives of worship. So how do we get our minds renewed? Well, generally speaking, we've talked about this a few messages back in Romans Paul wants to help us get right thinking. Because right thinking leads us to right living. You know, when we are regenerated, when we're saved, justified by God through faith in Christ, here's what the Bible says the Spirit of God does. He writes the law of God upon our hearts. Here's what that means. Prior to salvation, we had a hard heart, heart of stone. We were enemies of God. We were rebels at heart. We couldn't understand the things of God. But at regeneration, it's a new creation. And we have this heart of stone taken out and a heart after God put in. Our heart that is oriented to want the things that God wants for us. Yes, we still have a flesh that we struggle with, but there's a heart now that has an orientation toward God. He writes the law of God in our heart. But here's what the Spirit of God will not do. He won't put the Word of God in your mind. You get that? You put it in. He'll bring it to memory if you put it in. He'll bring it back when you need it. But you put it in. And it's the Word of God that brings renewal of the mind, that brings transformation of the life, that brings discernment on the will of God so that we can live in worship. Are you, are you getting the process over and over again there? I'm saying it several different ways in Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's so critical to understand that, to feel the deep, profound truth in Romans 12, 4 and 5 that we're going to look at today.
So general answer, we get our minds renewed through the truth of the Word of God. Here's a question. We're going to go a little more in detail. I want to look at what the specific answer now is. What specifically is central truth in the Word of God that we need to renew our minds? That's the answer I want to look for next. And so follow the thought process here. As Paul begins Romans chapter 12, Remember, the first 11 chapters is doctrine. It's this incredible story, deep truth of doctrine about what God has done. And then he comes to chapter 12, and he says, now based upon that, all of that, therefore, here's how we got to live. And what did he base that appeal on? What did he call in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, the basis of the appeal by which we should live the way God wants us to live? Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1. What did he write? He said, I appeal to you, brothers, by what? By the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. Specifically, here's what that means. By the mercy of God found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who He is and what He's done so that you and I could come into the mercies of God instead of being under the wrath of God. He says, I'm calling you as the only right response in life to live daily lives of worship based upon the mercies of God, meaning the truth found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why am I saying the mercies of God means that? Because that's what he talked about for 11 chapters. That's what the first 11 chapters of Romans 12 is about. Here, let me just give you a, about a 30,000-foot quick jump over 11 chapters. Verses 1, chapter 118, the wrath of God enters the scene. And from 118 to chapter 3, verse 20, he puts all humanity under the wrath of God, all guilty as charged all deserving death and condemnation and God's judgment. And then he gets to chapter 3, verse 20, and then he starts telling what God has done in the person of Jesus Christ to make all the difference in the world, all the difference in eternity. And so he takes chapter 3 to 11 to build the case for the mercies of God found in the person of Jesus Christ. what Jesus did by his life and sacrificial death and victorious resurrection and ascension back to the Father and the role he's performing, the mediatorial role as high priest, he's performing right now at the right hand of the Father. And so here's the answer to the question, what is the specific focus of truth that we need to have our minds renewed so that we can have our lives transformed so that we can discern the will of God so that we can live in worship. What is the truth? It's this, the truth as it's found in Jesus. 
That's the focus of the truth that we should build the renewing of our minds upon. That's the context in which Paul says in Romans 12, one, therefore, based upon the mercies of God, here's what you need to do. Based upon who Jesus is and what Jesus has done that's given you mercy instead of wrath, here's what you should do. So it is accurate to say that the focal point of the truth of God's Word that we need to build into our lives so that our minds can be renewed is the person of Jesus Christ. So that just means this. That means that when you look into the Word, when you read the Word, when you study the Word, you should be looking for truth about Jesus. That's what the Word is about. Nobody's ever told you that. If you've been here for a while, you've... I'm, Heard that many times, but not just the New Testament. The Bible is about Jesus. The Bible is about Jesus. You're going to understand the Bible better, much better, when you approach it understanding it's a book about Jesus. You're going to get greater illumination into the revelation of God in the Bible when before you open the Bible, you pray and ask the Spirit of God to reveal truth to you and primarily to reveal truth to you about the person of Jesus Christ. Again, here's what needs to happen. We need our thinking changed. We need our mind renewed so that our lives can be transformed, so that we can discern the will of God, so that we can live in worship. And let me ask you this question just to show you the connection. Who is it that thought perfectly and lived a perfect life and always knew the will of God and did it, living every moment of every day as an act of worship? Who was that? It was Jesus. It was Jesus. His life is the life. His life is the model. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. So the specific answer to the question on how do we get our minds renewed so that our lives can be transformed so that we can discern the will of God living in it for His glory and worship, we need to get to know the person of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Ezel, for that amen, brother. Okay. Then what he does, starting in verse 3, all the way to the end of the letter, to the end of chapter 16, what the Holy Spirit does through the inspired words that he gave to Paul to write, what he does is that he just begins to take a variety of issues and primarily relationships related to life, and he says, here's 
the right thinking you need to have about this so that your mind can be renewed, so that you can be transformed and know God's will and live in worship. And here's the right thinking you need to know about this so that that can happen, and the right thinking you need to know about this so that can happen. And guess where he starts at, at the very beginning of the process? Verse, look at verse 4 through the first half of verse 6. We come now to the text for today. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 4, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. Where he begins is he begins with the church. He takes this analogy of the human body, which he does in other places extensively in 1 Corinthians, but he takes this analogy of the human body, and he says, just like your body, your one body has a lot of different members, he compares that to the life of the church. And he says, so we, followers of Jesus... Writing to the church at Rome here, so you, writing to the Cornerstone Church, Anchorage, Alaska, 2015, he says, so you, though many are one body, you're individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to you, use them. So where he starts with, when he's talking about getting our thinking right so our living can be right, so our lives are worship, is he starts with us and our relationship to the church. Let me just highlight a little phrase here to set this up so I can bring it out in even a little more bold relief. The phrase, in Christ. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. There's a doctrine in those two words, a profound doctrine, an incredibly extensive doctrine about our union with Christ that Paul uses, the writers of Scripture use all over. There's so many incredible truths wrapped up in the idea of the believer's union in Christ. Christ, union with Christ. I, don't, I went way too long for service, so I'm, gonna, I'm not going to take the time to go into all of those. But the point is this. It's a real union. It's not theoretic. It's not just kind of this idea. We are actually in Christ. This is how much. The death He died for sin... We died to sin if we're saved. We died to sin because He died for sin. The resurrection He won in victory, coming back to life, says in Romans, both of these two truths in Romans, we are resurrected with Him. Not will be, we are. It's a reality. We died to sin, we've been raised with Him. Paul says, consider yourselves 
to having had died to sin and risen to new life with Christ. It's a reality. It's real. It's eternal. It's untouchable. It's unchangeable. So many truths there we could go into. But also, because we're in Christ, there are these other aspects to the life of the Christian that God intervenes in and gives help through His grace to in a wide variety of ways such as comfort and wisdom and courage and protection and healing and service and on and on and on. Ways that God comes to us and helps us as followers of Jesus to live this life out that He has called us into. i just give you a couple of examples of that. My memory's bad. I just thought of this before I came up. I told my wife I wish I had about 10 minutes. She could just build a whole list of issues here. But I'll just give you a couple of ways that God has brought His grace and blessing into my life 20, almost 26 years ago. A man with the gift of intercession... And a man with the gift of faith, those are both spiritual gifts, heard from the Spirit of God to hire me as the youth pastor of this church. And no biblical education, not pursuing ministry, working in construction camp out in the bush, looking like a hoodlum, I'm serious. And the Spirit of God spoke to him and he obeyed and you exercised that spiritual gift and God used that to call me into the ministry. At the time, I was not very happy about it, but I'm, I'm getting over it. Okay, 26 years later, I'm getting over it. I'm just kidding. I'm in eternally indebted. Remember a time in Arizona. My wife and I lived in Arizona when first married. We opened our pantry. Remember this, babe? We had one thing in the pantry. A little bit of instant oatmeal left in the tub. And no money. And a young couple we met at the church that we were attending showed up on our doorstep. We hadn't told a single person. They showed up with bags of groceries. They said, God just told us to bring some groceries over. That's a spiritual gift. I'll take it right into the home. Remember one time where I just... I really blew it. I, by the way, that happens a lot with me, okay? But I got in the flesh and 
got upset and my emotions rose and in a heated conversation, I said something to my oldest son that I should not have said. Very harsh, brutal. While I was pastoring, obviously, this church, and when it happened, the conviction of the Spirit just came on me so strongly that I just uncontrollably broke, could hardly stand, leaning up against the wall, sobbing. And my, my son, Brooks, has a gift of encouragement. He just felt the harsh whip of my sin, and yet, well, I'm trying to hold myself up. He walks across the room and holds me up, right? That's the exercise of a spiritual gift right there. That's the giving of courage, the pouring of courage. And there has been so many ways over my life that people using their giftings have been tools in the hands of God. Where would I be if those people did not do that? It's what Paul writes here. When he says that we're one body in Christ, what I want you to see here in the unity that is emphasized here in the church, what I want you to see is that Paul is not trying to emphasize here all of the truths that go with the doctrine of being in Christ. What he's trying to emphasize is the point in the body analogy of our unity to one another. And here's what he's saying. If you're a believer, you're in Christ. If I'm a believer, I'm in Christ. If Ken's a believer, he's in Christ. If Bill's a believer, he's in Christ. How many Christs are there? There's one. So if I'm in Christ, and Ken's in Christ, and Bill's in Christ, what are Brad and Ken and Bill, they are one. They are together. They are united. That's the point Paul is making. That's the right thinking that renews the mind, that transforms the life, that brings about a knowledge of the will of God so that there can be a life of worship. We need to think right about the church. And the church is one because it's all in one in Christ. Let me give you another aspect of that. It says that we belong to one another. I think that's verse 5. We're members of one another. We're individuals, but we're members of one another. You know what that means? That means that you have ownership in me and I have ownership in you. That means that your gift 
It's not just your gift. In fact, it's not even really your gift. It's not ever meant to serve you. Gifts are meant to serve others. So here's the way it works. Here's the way it works. God's got the gift, and God gives the gift or gifts to an individual for his church. And he says to that individual in his word, now I want you to go take it and give it to the church. God's got the gifts. He gives the gifts to the individual believers. And he says, now what you're supposed to do is you're to take that gift that I've given and you're to give it to the church to bless them. And by the way, I've got some gifts at the church there for you too, through them. You see the point there? The illustration of the body analogy, one in Christ here, is meant to emphasize our unity together and necessity to be working together in the kingdom because that's the way the gifts of God come to me and to you. It comes through someone else. Just think of an implication to that. If we are one in Christ, and I have a role, a function, a part of the body I am to perform in the life of the church, guess what I need to find out who I am in a sense? I mean, the shape that God has made me. I need the church because it's only as I use that gift do I discover who I have been made to be in relationship to the role I fulfill in the church? If I'm not engaged, I don't know that. And that gift, that shape could just lay there undiscovered because I'm not using my gift and I never would have found out, never would I have found out that God wanted me. I mean, ridiculous. He wanted me to get up in front of hundreds of people every week and say, thus says the Lord. I mean, come on. I would have never dreamed that up. In fact, I would have ran from that so hard and so fast. But it was only in the doing that I discovered as I connected to the body and did my job that I found out, wow, I do. This is who he made me. Because I say something and somebody say, wow, God changed my life through that. Well, that's not Brad. My word. So, so the focus here is not all these individual benefits that I get from God. The point is that I'm united to the church and what happens is my gifting and your gifting is needed by everybody else in the church. I'm going to remind you what we said last time about what happens when you use a spiritual gift. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. We have a page number for that. I want them to see that. Page 1061, if you're using the church Bibles that are in the back there. But First Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Listen to what Peter writes. 
As each has received a gift, as each believer has received a spiritual gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Hit this last time, but it's so critical to the understanding here what Peter is saying The audacious truth that Peter is saying is that as you use your spiritual gift, here's what happens. Grace comes from God and goes through the gift to people that need that grace of God. Folks, what on the planet is more powerful than the grace of God? Nothing. The grace of God is what not only we need for salvation, but I'm talking about what we need as Christians to live day-to-day lives dealing with the stuff of life. We need the varied aspects, the multifaceted truths of God's grace to come. And how does the varied aspects of God's grace come to the varied aspects of life? They come through varied gifts that are exercised in the church like the few that I gave you examples of and so many more that could be given. You see, the second truth that Paul drives home here, the second aspect of right thinking about the church is not only our oneness in Christ, but our individual diversity. Listen, so we though many are one body in Christ and individually, I'm I'm sorry, verse 4, for as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. Point is, all different, right? Don't have the same function. So we though many are one body in Christ and individually Members of one another, verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. You see, here's the way it works. We need the multifaceted various forms of God's grace in our day-to-day lives as believers. We desperately need that. We desperately need that. We need the gifts of God's grace and comfort and wisdom and courage and protection and healing and speaking truth and holding each other accountable and just all of the one another's of Scripture. We desperately need that. And the way that we get those varied aspects of God's grace is we get them through the varied gifts that God gives to believers as they exercise them. The grace goes from God through the gift to the people that need it. Now, because that is what really is happening when a person uses their spiritual gifts faithfully, is it any wonder? Is it any wonder that Paul, inspired by the Spirit, began right there at the top of the list when he said, I'm going to begin to teach you now how to think right so that you can live transformed, so that you can know God's will and live in worship. Is it any wonder that he started with you and your relationship to the church saying, think right about the church. Understand that if you're a believer, you're in Christ, united to the believers in the church. You belong to them. And... 
You're individual and unique in that, and you need to use your gift because if you don't, they don't get the grace of God they need for their day-to-day life. Oh, wow, how critical it is then. And no wonder why he started where he did to begin to teach this truth. Diversity of the gifts. Just encourage you a couple things and then I'm going to close. God doesn't want us all to be the same. Isn't that cool? Sometimes people get saved and they're like, I've, I've heard this from a lot of guys particularly close to the family, like my brothers, my older brothers that got saved later. One of them got saved later in life. He was so afraid of getting saved because he thought God was going to make him like dad, like a preacher, right? And he wanted nothing to do with that. There's different gifts. He doesn't want us uniform. He wants us diverse. Why? Because that's when God's glory is seen, right? Look at all creation. Man, if everything was the same color and the same thing, how boring. But it's the creative fiat of God that is revealed in the multifaceted differences and beauty of creation. Same thing is true in the church. The beauty of Jesus is revealed in the body of Christ through the diversity of the gifts in the church. It's supposed to be that way. Don't try to be like somebody else. Be like Jesus in character. And Jesus had all the gifts, right? But find out which ones you've got and be you. Be faithful in using that gift. Be you. The church needs you to be you. So now let's take a application point even beyond that. The first application there is the end, is the middle of Verse 6, use your gift. But here's the question, and I'll close with this. Where? Specifically in the church, where do you use your gift? Well, it could be a variety of answers to that, but I'm going to give you the central answer. We come here on Sunday morning, and there's an opportunity for some to use their gifts, but not all. We can't have 400 people. I mean, we'd never get out of here, right? Guess where that should function? In a life group. We believe without question that God's intent is for us to live in community. This is an aspect of fellowship, but this is in close community. We need to be around some other believers living in close community because that's when we can do the one another's, that's when we can use our gifts. And we are convinced that the way that we're going to be most effective in fulfilling the call of God to make disciples at Cornerstone Church is we do what we do here on Sunday through the encouragement that comes through the large group ministry format. And then we have life groups where people gather up in community together and people can love one another and serve one another and pray for one another and use their gifts so that God's grace gets from Jesus at the throne through the gift to people right where they're at, whatever it is. So get in a life group. You want to get enmeshed into the ministry of this church in which disciples are made the best way that you can. You need to get into a life group. 
Let me just close in a word of prayer. I, sorry I went long again this morning, but would you just stand? Father, Lord, I'm so glad that you were so clear on how it's supposed to work. It's really profound to me. The more that I've studied these first six verses, it's more and more profound how they're put together. What an incredible plan that you've laid out here. Specifically, Lord, I'm just asking you just take the truth that was shared by the power of your spirit about the person of your son planted into the hearts those that are here tend it water it let it spring up with fruit lasting fruit pray Lord more and more percentage of our church family our church body would get engaged in the ministry of life groups and fully participate in community together as contributing members of one another in oneness for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.